Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Make yourself comfortable as we gather together to worship. That is probably the most important thing is make yourself comfortable as we worship. We want to gather together and we want to give praise to God and we want to keep doing this thing. We're not going to stay here all night, but at the end of the day, we are here to glorify God in, in heaven. And and he died for us. But man, the church was, was testifying and was making their difference by convincing people that he rose from the dead. Because that did not happen back then. Not only did he rise from the dead, did his father bring him back to life, but the fact of the matter was over 500 people saw him over the next couple of weeks. He showed himself to people. It wasn't just a story. And crazy as it might sound to you, um, if you just understand that all of those disciples died clinging to the exact same story that they told on the first Easter Sunday morning. And if you think that's like a big deal, what did it take? Like 17 minutes or 17 hours for everybody that was involved in the Watergate scandal back in the day to turn on one another and give each other up because they didn't want to die. If what they were saying was a lie, one of them would have caved to save his life. And every one of them went to the grave saying, listen, I'm trying to tell you people the truth. What you are experiencing on this earth is not all there is. We are here for such a short time. We are dressed in this corrupt flesh. But the scripture says that one day this corrupt flesh will put on an incorrupt flesh and we will be caught up into the air. And what we live with right now will stay here. And we will know something entirely different. And it is worth dying for. And if it's worth dying for, then it is certainly worth, worth living for. I want to just bring us together and just uh, have a prayer. Invite the Holy Spirit in here to speak to us. And uh, let's see where this takes us. Um, I've got some things that I believe the Lord wants to say. I don't know who he wants to say them to. He certainly is saying them to me personally. But I just want to share them with you. So let's just pray. <clears throat> Father, as we come before you right now, I know that your love is here. And if your love is here, Lord God, it's because you want to do something. It's because you want to touch our lives. You want to speak to us. You are not a God who has set us on a shelf now that we're saved and said you'll come back to get us. You are a God who is desperately trying to talk to us, but we are so busy, so connected to this world, so wrapped up in the things that we're doing that we don't have time to go out and sit on the Mount of Olives, Lord. We don't have the time to be quiet. We cry out for you to speak to us, but we won't turn off the television. I just ask and pray that right here, God, you would speak to us. God, I know that every day was written down in your book before one of them came to pass, and so I'm confident of the fact that you want to speak to me personally. As we gather together, we just ask and pray, God, that you would come in here and, and you would begin to move in our hearts. And we thank you for this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Before I jump into the scripture I want to share with you, let me just ask you a question. You ever seen a child haggle over dinner? You ever seen a child that's like, man, I don't want to eat that. I'm not interested. I was that way with liver and onions. I don't know how many of you were raised on liver and onions, but that was a no for me. My parents were like, this is the best thing. And it's like, uh-uh. That is not the best thing. I can smell it from outside. It is not the best thing. No. 
But they tried and tried, and there was no way. It was not going to happen. Well, I think today, the closest that I can get to that is putting a plate of Brussels sprouts in front of a child that have been cooked. Now, I know there's some of you in here like, oh, that's like a super energy food. That's a super food group, and you got to eat that stuff. No, uh, I'm not. You know, if they're made a certain way, I might, you know, eat some down. I tried some not long ago because I was remembering some things from my youth. Not going to happen. But you take a plate of Brussels sprouts like this, and you put it in front of a child, and you're like, here, I want you to sit down. I want you to eat some, some Brussels sprouts. Now, look, these are cooked up in a skillet like Grandma used to do, okay, like Granny did up on the hill. And it's like she put them in there. She sautéed them. She put probably what, half a pound of pig fat in there with that thing and skillet them things up a little bit. And it's like, it's good. And your child's going, no. And I love it when it, when it happens when we visit people because we didn't often give our children the chance to say no to food because it was five of them. And if you said no, it was gone by the time you were done arguing with mom and daddy. You got nothing. Okay? And so you're just like, well, I better eat that. They promised me it's not going to kill me. But the fact of the matter is, you know, those Brussels sprouts, Brussels sprouts get put there on that table and mom and dad start saying listen I just need you to eat this and you don't put a whole bunch you don't give them the whole skillet and then pretty soon you're like weeding it out you're negotiating with your child you're like okay eat six and then you're like okay eat five okay eat three just eat three okay Jesus will love you more if you eat three Brussels sprouts and then pretty soon your child takes that fork and starts playing with it you're like yes Lord he's going to eat one one and then when he puts his fork in it, you're like, see, he starts going like that. You know how kids are. They do that. They, they just need to be slapped upside the head at that point. And you're like, no, no, that's, that's, that's little Johnny. Little Johnny, he's just having a rough time with Brussels sprouts. He's, he got, he's tender. No, he's not. He's playing you. He's negotiating with you. He's showing you that he is not going to lose. And I celebrate the parents that are like, oh, honey, you don't have to eat those Brussels sprouts. That's okay. Okay? If you don't want to, just sit there. Just sit there. And they're like, well, no, I want to go play. And, and you're like, no, just sit there. Well, how long I got to sit there? Well, till tomorrow. You know, or until you eat a Brussels sprout. And they start negotiating again. You, you've been there, I can tell. And smile on your faces. Yeah, we had one of those in our child. And it's usually one child. It's usually one that thinks he can get away with it or she can get away with it, and they do that. But it's crazy. And I was thinking about this particular story that I want to share with you from the book of Hebrews chapter 11 because somebody shared with us the story from the book of Hebrews chapter 11, but it was a different one than this this morning. But I had this written up and sent in to Michael last week sometime. Um, so I didn't know what uh, Dan was going to share with us this morning. But why do we negotiate with God? Why do we do that? Why do we live our lives in such a way that if he really wants us who are so special to do something for him, that we need him to do something for us first? Why, why can't we just be obedient? Why, why can't we just do that? You know, I'm familiar with Abraham, and I want to talk about Abraham for a minute. I want to talk about his situation or his sacrifice of Isaac there. But as I'm talking to you, I'm suddenly realizing, remember when the Lord came by, Christophany, the angel of the Lord came by and says, hey, should we tell Abraham what we're about to do? And Abraham starts negotiating with the Lord. Hey, what if there's 50 righteous people down there in that town? What if there's 40? What if there's 30? What if there's 10? What if there's one? And clearly no righteous person was found down there in Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and so you have that story. But what is it about negotiating with God that makes us think that we bring something to the table that we'll keep from God when, when God asks us just to be obedient? 
I know that uh, the scripture says in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises, and that promise is God promised him, I'm going to give you a son from your own physical body with Sarah, and he is going to be the father of the nations, Abraham. You're going to be called the father of nations, but I promise you, I'm going to take one of your own biological children and amazing things are going to happen. And Abraham was like, oh, I don't know how he's going to do that because I'm so old. And Sarah too. He who had embraced the promises, Abraham, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will turn you into a great nation through Isaac, but first you have to take him up on top of this mountain. You've got to tie him up, and then you've got to plunge this knife into his physical body, and you've got to sacrifice him to me. Now clearly, if you're familiar with that story, you recognize God didn't want him to actually do it, but he had made Abraham a promise to have a son. And when it came to the place that he had that son, that son became so precious to Abraham that God said, I need to see, Abraham, if you love me more than this world, if you love me more than your things, if you love me more than your son, I need to know that because I'm going to make you a great nation. And Abraham didn't hesitate it honestly does not appear that he told Sarah at all what he was about to do when he took Abraham and went on a journey, saw the mountain, went on another three-day journey and went up on top of this mountain with just, excuse me, with just Isaac. He took Isaac with him and went up there. We recognize that at this point, Abraham had Isaac when he was 100 years old, finally realized the promise, and then Isaac is big enough to carry all of the wood that it would take to consume his body. Because the scripture says he carried the wood. And they went up this mountain, and it, took a, it was three days that they left everybody else and the donkeys there. And they marched for three days up this hill um, on Mount Moriah, and they were going to sacrifice him. It says right here, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac your offspring, um, that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so, in a manner of speaking, he received Isaac back from death. You see, because for three days as he marched up there, he did not believe that God was going to say, Isaac, Isaac, hold, don't do it. He believed that God wanted him to take this, and I'm just picking a number for no reason whatsoever, out of the air. This 25-year-old football player from EKU with muscles big enough to carry all the firewood up the hill because he himself was old. And they went up there, and for three days as they were marching up that hill, there was no doubt in uh, Abraham's mind that he was coming back down that hill alone. And I would say, this is just me, I would be going up that hill working on my story that I was going to tell my wife, who had one child that she had been praying for and crying for, humiliated because she could not birth one. And now Abraham's got to come back down the hill and say, okay, so let me tell you how this went. What do you tell somebody after something like that? For three days, the scripture says, he believed that um, Isaac was dead. He was as good as dead. But he believed that God could raise him from the dead. And so maybe he was going to bring him back down the hill too. And it was all going to be absolutely 
amazing. And so we see in this story this one word that we struggle with so much. Abraham probably could be considered the pillar of obedience. It didn't make sense. Abraham wasn't going to get a gain. He didn't see how it could possibly help God. God's ways are not Abraham's ways, but Abraham's ways are not God's ways. And so somewhere in here, he had to recognize that this did not make good sense, but he chose to do it anyway. He chose to do things God's way. He's the pillar of obedience, and yet it's Samuel the prophet that is credited with saying, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? It's the thing that he wants from you and I. Obedience. Not abject, only do the things that you never want to do. You're going to hate everything that God asked you to do. That's not the God you and I serve. But the flip side of that isn't that, oh no, I serve the God that gives me everything I want, only says yes to all of my prayers, you know, and caves in to me because he knows that if he doesn't, I'm probably going to throw a tantrum and lay on the floor. See? We serve a God that we should be in awe of because he is a consuming fire. And yet at the same time, we have permission to call him Abba Father and to come into the throne room boldly when we have uh, need of him. To obey, Samuel goes on to say, is better than sacrifice. And to do, to heed, to listen to the word of God is better than the fat of rams that the law requires of you and I. And so I began to look at this, and I was thinking about this as I was thinking about this pulse service in my own life and what was going on, and I was beginning to say, what is it that is so most precious in your life that you hold back from God? What is it that is so most precious right now that if God said to you, hey, you know what, I need you to step out of your comfort zone and do this, and you would say, ah, you know, like Moses, Lord, Lord, I, I'm not very good at speaking. Can't you send my brother Aaron? And listen, I'm not the guy that you need, Lord. Hey, pick somebody else, Lord. And we would begin to do that. We would begin to negotiate with a God who knows everything. It's what I loved. Um, Officer Dan was preaching this morning here, and he was preaching about Noah. And I loved it because he said to me, um, I was in that meeting that, that some of you aren't aware of and I apologize for doing that. That's a no-no for public speakers, but here's the deal. Um, he came in and he shared a word with us and he asked me, could I share just a word on Sunday morning? And I said, how much is just a word? He said, five minutes, five minutes, maybe 10 minutes, maybe show my video from this 501c3 that we're doing. We want to feed hungry people. We want to um, employ um, um, drug addicts that are recovering and felons. You heard it this morning if you were here. He said, can I just show my, I said, no. I said, but I'll let you preach. He said, preach. I said, yeah. He said, like a whole sermon? I said, yeah, but you have to preach a sermon. Sorry, you're on today. So I said, you got to preach the whole sermon. He's like, well, okay, I can do it, okay? Because I'm telling you, in my interaction with him, I saw a man that trusts God. Can you believe like Abraham going up the mountain with his son Isaac, who he's planning on sticking a knife in his chest, so much so that the angel of the Lord had to say, Abraham, Abraham, twice to catch his attention. But he trusted God. I don't have to worry. I don't have to embrace the anxiety. I don't have to 
spin out of control because I can choose to believe just like um, Paul, the apostle, that if I find myself in prison for preaching the gospel, the Lord already knew it. So don't pray to get me out of this prison. Pray that I'll be more bold because there's somebody in here that needs to get saved. And that brings you and I to the place of looking at Abraham's story and saying, what are we holding back from being willing to get out of Peter's boat? What are we holding back from being willing to give the little boys five loaves and two fish? What are you and I holding back? What are we trusting in as a safety net for our lives that isn't God? Our 401k? Our job? Man, honestly, I used to have a 401k. And I remember it was building and building and building before the Lord told me to move to Kentucky. And all of a sudden, the market started crashing. And I watched that thing go cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. And I'm just watching her, you know, drop $10,000, $13,000, $15,000. And I'm like, what is going on? It's going to disappear. That's how fast your 401k, keep trusting it. That's how fast it can disappear. I'm trusting my health. I'm going to just make sure that no matter what, and I'm not saying don't be healthy. I'm just saying you begin to trust that instead of God. And it will terrify you when something happens. But if you can trust God in the midst of it all, do you, I need you to collectively, I know I say this, but I need you to grab a hold of this. Leaving the planet, dying and leaving the planet is the actual goal of Christianity. Well, I didn't come here to hear that. In the 1500s, it was such a big deal that they called it martyr syndrome. If Jesus got killed, then kill me too. People are going to get burned at the stake. They're like, well, I just hope to suffer like Jesus did. Peter said, go ahead and kill me, but crucify me upside down because I don't deserve to be killed that way. And now we're like, oh, I got a headache. Lord, I think it's the enemy. He's attacking my brain because I eat too much sugar and I'm not being careful with my diet, but it's got to be the enemy, Lord. Make it go away. I'm suffering for the kingdom. It's like, are you really? When we can actually live with the understanding that dying is not horrible, we can live. Until then, we're too busy protecting ourselves to be involved in some of the things that God is calling us to. And yet there are Christians around the world that get their heads cut off, even today, for saying the word Jesus out loud especially in relationship to their own lives. People constantly struggle with the idea of holding things back. And I want to just ask you again, why are you negotiating with God? You're in here. And God is asking something of you, and you're negotiating because you don't want to take the risk. See? Abraham, excuse me, Adam hid from God because he didn't understand God sees all. He sees his sin. Moses held back because he didn't want to go back to Egypt because he was worried about his safety. Anxiety. That guy was trying to kill me when I left. And now he's not there, but his son is. Gideon holds back because he's not great and mighty. Not at all. But he wants to be alive tomorrow. Jonah holds back because he's a racist. Straight up. 
He didn't want to give his gift to God because God wouldn't do what he said and kill the Ninevites. Don't take my word for it. Read it, read it and see. Ananias haggled with God when Saul lost his sight, who became Paul. He haggled with God and said, this is the guy that was killing us just a couple of days ago. And you want me to go pray for him? Yeah. Why is Ananias haggling with God? Can we not trust the Lord to do things in our lives or to bring us home? Home is the goal for me. Home is the goal. The rich young ruler found his security in his wealth. And when Jesus looked at him and said, sell everything you've got, give to the poor. He didn't say give it all to the poor. He said, sell everything you've got, give to the poor, then come and follow follow me and you'll have riches in heaven. And the scripture says, and he went away with his face downcast, his face thrown to the ground because he was very wealthy. And that was his security, was his wealth. Because maybe God's going to let him down. Our God sees us as we are and knows our sin right now. That gives me hope because he still wants me and he still wants you. He protects us as we follow. He goes ahead and makes a way. He uses our weakness because he's not looking for supermen. He's looking for obedient people. He suffers our rebellion firmly sometimes, but he doesn't walk out on us. He doesn't leave us, throw up his hands and say, he's done with you now. He keeps coming back to you saying, get back up. Let's do it again. He assures us when we're scared, nurtures us and comforts us in our fears, and he provides what he asks of us. He provides for us. Supplies us with what we need to do with what he asks, and we need to trust him. What is one thing that you are asking God for right now, besides Bill Gates' wealth? Just, let's just be honest. What's the one thing you're asking God for? Relationship? Money? A different job? Career? Why are you negotiating with God to try to get it? He doesn't negotiate. You can trust him to go ahead of you and do the thing that you're working at as you chase him. But it's kind of hard to go the other way away from God and then say, how come you're not doing what I ask God? See? Abraham said, Lord, which mountain? Which mountain? Where are we going? Which mountain? He didn't say no. He said, Isaac, let's go. Grab some wood. Put it on the donkey. Get the servants. Let's go. Let's do this thing. And they traveled. And they went. I'm not saying that God is always contractual, but shouldn't he have some expectation in the game? Shouldn't he be able to say, hey, this is what I'm asking of you. This is the way it is. I've been looking at my own life and saying, hey, when we as a humanity are sinning and getting everything that we want, we might want to look at who's providing for us. Because it might not, I would say it's definitely not the Lord. When we are choosing to go against the known teachings of Jesus the Christ, it's hard to believe that it's the Lord that's leading us into that. And yet there are people that are there. Let me say it this way. If it keeps you from obedience to God, 
It's not a gift from God. It's not. Be careful. So here it is. What are you holding back from God? What are you haggling with God about? What are you trying to hide from God? When the scripture tells us everything is open and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. He sees it all. That's not permission to sin. That's permission to be honest with God and know he's not leaving. What are you hoping from God? What are you hoping from God? And I believe it does come down to something like this. What are you honoring God with? Do you testify about the goodness of God in your life? Do you tell people what the Lord is doing? Not in a soapbox sort of way, but maybe in a manner that just allows you to stop and say, hey, you know, I just want to testify that the Lord gave me a job. I want to testify that, man, I heard this word in church and it just really began to shape the direction that I was going. David wouldn't sacrifice something that wasn't his own. He believed in sacrificing to God. The wise men showed up and made sure they brought a gift to God, a gift that is due who he was, the king, the newborn king. We come into the throne room of grace and the Lord invites us to lift up an offering of praise. Can we testify? Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders and the people came to him and said, By what authority are you doing all these, these things? And they asked, Who gave you this authority, Jesus? And Jesus replied, I'm going to ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of a human origin? And they discussed it amongst themselves, and they say, if we say heaven, he's going to say, then why don't you believe him? So they actually came to him and said, we don't know, we're not going to say. And then Jesus said, well, then neither am I going to answer you. I think sometimes we're holding back from God, and God is waiting on us to answer him. He's waiting on you to step out in faith. And we're scared. We've got a million excuses, but no reasons for why it happens. 